0: Can you give me, like, ChatGPT's best and worst pickup lines? So when I first went into ChatGPT and just asked for some pickup lines, it gave me things like, are you a magician? Because every time I look at you, everyone else disappears.
1: (laughs) I mean, I guess it might work if you appreciate a really bad dad joke. That is Heather Tall Murphy, who writes about tech and business for Slate. And regular listeners to this show have been introduced to ChatGPT, the AI chatbot, whose plausibly human-sounding conversations have made it a big hit. Plus, it turns out it can write some really cheesy pickup lines. Heather wanted it to do something better.
0: And then I asked it, you know, can you get a little more creative? Can you be a little more weird? It still was kind of cheesy, you know, do you believe in love at first sight or should I walk by again? But gradually, ChatGPT's openers improved, especially when Heather started to train it. They gave it an article that actually this woman who had written about how bad AI is with pickup lines and said, like, you know, look at these as examples and then do better. And by consuming that, it ultimately picked out, you're looking good today, want snacks. Which, you know, I'm not saying that would work for everyone, but at least it's kind of strange enough to be kind of funny.
1: And everyone likes snacks. That line, you're looking good today, want snacks, was a winner on Tinder. Because Heather wasn't just asking AI to write some lines for fun. This was a serious experiment to see if she and ChatGPT could combine forces to get her friends some dates. A sort of digital Cyrano de Bergerac unleashed on the men of New York. Today on the show, how Heather and her computer wingman pulled it off. I'm Lizzie O'Leary and you're listening to What Next TBD, a show about technology, power, and how the future will be determined. Stick around. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. by AI, and on Thursdays we'll be explaining big topics in the news with Verge reporters, experts, and other friends of the show.
0: There's a new generation of people on the internet. Google search has always sucked for them, so you know there's no reason for them to be loyal. They can just go to TikTok.
1: This is going to be really fun. I'm very excited about all this. So go subscribe wherever you get your podcasts now. Heather hasn't been on the apps for a long time. She's married and has been with her wife for a dozen years. But she has lots of friends who are single and complain about how horrific online dating is, how much time and effort it takes for a sometimes questionable payoff. So not so long ago, Heather saw a tweet that gave her an idea. It was a tweet from a guy
0: who was trying to meet men on Grindr. And when he was on Grindr, he realized this guy that he'd been chatting with was actually a bot. He'd actually created a bot. And (laughs) People were really mad on Twitter about this. You know, a lot of people are like, this is the new low in online dating. But the guy himself who was tweeting about it didn't seem that bothered. He seemed to kind of think it was funny. And I was curious. So I just, I reached out to him and asked if I could talk to the guy who created the bot. And I did talk to him. And what kind of was interesting to me about it was, it wasn't maybe what you think, like you hear some guy created a bot, you know, a chat bot to date for him on Grindr. Grindr is known as being a gay hookup app. You're kind of thinking, oh, he's kind of a creep. But actually, at least in his explanation of it, he was kind of trying to do the reverse. He felt that Grindr was like a really overly sexual place for his comfort. There's a lot of guys who just wanted to hook up, would send him dick pics, would send him really vulgar propositions like within the first couple messages. And so by creating this chat bot, and he's he's an engineer, so he has these a little more capabilities than I have in some of this stuff, he was able to kind of help himself speed things up and weed out people who he just didn't want to go on a date with. Heather thought, why not try to make something similar? figure out if there was a way to reduce
1: some of that swiping, scrolling, and messaging on Tinder and Bumble. She wasn't sure it would work, but she was curious.
0: I wasn't convinced that AI or chat GPT could do something so much better than people. At the same time, like, interacting with people on these apps is a very specific type of communication that I was just wondering, like, would it give us some ideas? What would happen? Um, How convincing would it be? Would it make us think of something that we might not have thought of if it was, if we weren't operating with it? And so
1: she roped in a friend we'll call Sam. Sam's a straight woman, around 40. She knows Heather well and trusts her. They're the kind of friends where you talk about what you want and don't want in a serious romantic partner, or even just a casual date.
0: She's tried a lot of things, and she's very open, but she just hates the apps. She's gone on some dates. Some have been okay. Some haven't. But more than dates, she spent years like on the apps and, and them not even turning to dates, just feeling like she was wasting her time. And so she'd really just kind of given up on them. So when I offered her, like, I'm going to deal with this for you. You don't have to deal with it. I'm just going to take over, you know, as much as it might have been nice if I had done this for someone who I didn't even know. That is a very particular dynamic. And so um, it, it was helpful that this person trusted me enough to kind of run with it. So she was really not very involved when I just took over. I had like, you know, to create her profile, to start the whole thing and just set her up on some dates. While it might feel like a ton of consumer AI
1: products have just hit the market, there wasn't one perfect thing that would work for Heather's experiment. And to tailor an AI tool for this kind of online dating would probably require millions of dollars and years of research. And, well, we work
0: for a media company and not for Google. Believe it or not, Slate didn't want to let me expense, you know, a multi-million dollar project for my, <laughs> my friend's date. So what my editor and I kind of landed on is, like, even though it's kind of imperfect, like, what, what the goal was to explore things that I could use, that I could use, like ChatGPT, that were accessible to me, that didn't require having to hire someone or pay somebody to, to build something. Um, because that was where my brain had first started inspired by this chatbot. Like I wanted like something even more advanced that was much more automated. And in the beginning, I also thought, okay, I want to just like automate this as much as possible or turn over everything as much as possible to those tools. But I kind of settled pretty quickly because this is a real person with real photos who wants to go on a real date. Um, I realized pretty quickly that just allowing ChatGPT to represent this person, to entirely write her bio, to entirely write those messages. I have no doubt I could have like we could have like pulled in some people or not even had it be a real person. Like I still think you could create a, a profile and write messages. Just that, like a fake. Yeah, a, totally a fake, fake person. thing. But it didn't that was a different that's a different kind of experiment than the one we were doing. So part of the what I learned pretty quickly was that it couldn't really be relied on entirely on its own to just create a profile or create the messages. It needed to be more of a collaborator.
1: Walk me through the photo selection part, because that was really interesting to me, like what the software thought was a good profile pick versus what a human you would think was a good one.
0: Yeah. So, you know, when I went into this, I thought for sure, you know, I'm going to find all kinds of AI tools that you can just pop my photo, the photos in, and it'll tell me using AI, predictions like which photos are going to perform best on dating apps. What I discovered pretty quickly was some of those tools had emerged in recent years and they were all discontinued. None of them worked anymore. And I think because partly there's been a lot of problems with them, like a lot of the assumptions baked into the um, AI's assumptions about what looks good or this or that can be really problematic. And, you know, pretty quickly, a lot of those tools have just kind of been mocked because they don't do a good job telling you any of that. So what I was surprised to learn is that, yes, there's been this emergence of all these like face filters, some of which claim to use AI, some of which may actually use AI, but and that make you try to make you look younger. But I had this commitment with my friend that I wasn't going to try to make her look like somebody she didn't. Yeah. Uh, She wants somebody to get to the date and be like, oh, okay, yeah, that this is like you. And so um, what I discovered is really my best option for using some kind of tool to help me pick photos was Photofeeler, which is not a high tech app. I mean, it says in its description that it uses AI and like, you know, really hypes the language. But at the end of the day, this tool is basically just a bunch of like volunteer photo critics. It's kind of like a hot or not type thing. Photofeeler rates photos
1: on whether people look smart, trustworthy, and attractive, and gives them a score for
0: each. The photos the app liked were not what Heather personally would have picked. I mean, I jokingly, but not jokingly, put, like, my main takeaway was not to wear sunglasses. I mean, that honestly was one of my takeaways. It's like, I never thought about it before, but, like, I'd have these beautiful photos of Sam, and anytime she's wearing sunglasses, it would get a poor rating, and all the notes would be like, don't wear sunglasses, which is fair. On dating apps, you want to see people's face. But my other real takeaway, because of the way this all played out, is just to be careful of averages, you know, which of course we already know. But if I had tr- entirely trusted the guidance of this tool— I'm also a queer woman. Obviously, my views of like what my friend looks good in is going to be different than these men who are thinking about like what looks good on a dating app. So I also was curious like what people would find attractive. So there were some differences just like I saw thought certain photos were great. They thought certain photos were great that I didn't like as much. But then you know, they didn't like, for example, this one photo where she was laughing and she had a hand over her face and she was in this in front of this enormous platter of sushi. But I, I noticed even though like the overall number was low-ish, there was a lot of enthusiastic comments on it. And I liked it that she was laughing and looked happy. And I was glad I included it anyway, because later one of the guys she went on the best date with, he specifically mentioned that photo in his opening line. And so, yeah, I don't know, like, you know, the the takeaway there is like, obviously don't listen too much to what these things tell you. When we come back,
1: GPT tries to write like the queen of rom-coms and
2: fails Utterly. But there's something you can do about it. And we hope you'll join us in D.C. on May 14th to explore the possible pathways out of the current situation. Go to Slate.com slash Amicus Live for tickets. If you want to understand what is happening in the United States right now, you really need to understand what's happening with the courts, the law and the Supreme Court The battle between democracy and whatever this cage match is that we're witnessing, it's going to be won and lost at the ballot box, but it's also going to be won and lost in the courtrooms. I'm Dahlia Lithwick. I host Slate's legal podcast, Amicus, and we are doubling our output bringing you weekly episodes from here on in because how else can we keep an eye on the many trials of donald trump the conservative legal movement's assaults on our rights the supreme court's latest slate of environmental gutting gun safety eviscerating cases on the docket so follow amicus wherever you get your podcasts new episodes dropping every saturday morning
1: I think my favorite part of your whole experiment is when you asked ChatGPT to write in the style of Nora Ephron. I wonder if you could read that out and explain what happened.
0: So I was trying to write the bio, and when I was writing the bio, it was just so cheesy and so earnest. And, you know, the original versions of it. And so then I just started trying some different writers. And the writers were also really failing. But then I put in Nora Ephron, and it said, Greetings, fellow seekers of love and laughter. I am Nora Ephron, and I have the great pleasure of introducing you to a woman who embodies the perfect combination of beauty, wit, and intelligence. And what was so strange about that is, like, I started to realize that certain writers, if you put something in and said write this bio in the style of this person. It would write it in the style of that person. But if you wrote certain people, it would say, I am Nora Ephron, or like, I am <laughs> David Sedaris, or I am this person. But then other people it like knew to do their style. And I so feel I, like Nora Ephron would have been appalled by that line. <laughs> I know. But that was the other thing. The, even the things where it tried to write it in their style, it really wasn't in their style. It was kind of just a way—I started to realize that putting right in the style of these people— it, yeah, it was not as that successful, and so I start. I asked it like, whose style do you actually know how to write? And it gave me a list, and then of uh, people it knew best. And then I started to pull from those people, even though like That's George true. Orwell isn't probably somebody that I would typically turn to for a dating app. It knows George Orwell. It knows Hunter S. Thompson. It knows, honestly, a lot of, like, dead dead white men really well. Um, It also knows some other people. I mean, it claims to know Isabella Allende, and I put her in, and, like, I mean, it definitely had nothing to do with Isabella Allende. But I did use her line, and honestly, it was a big fail, and this very promising man never responded, which is fair. fair enough. I wasn't so much hoping that they would embody those people. I was just trying to get it to sound more like a less earnest and a little funnier
1: what were the ways in which this experiment worked? Like, you have a profile, some guy who seems, you know, like he would pass muster with your friend. What did you do that was successful?
0: One thing that was kind of interesting is so when you're using ChatGPT, it's not like you put in one prompt and then you start anew every time. Like, you can, first of all, I put in a lot of background information. That was something that, some people gave me the advice, like, don't limit yourself. Don't like obsess about like formatting for the background information. Like if you wanted, you could paste in Sam's entire LinkedIn profile and Facebook profile and Instagram profile and tons of texts with her and an interview you did with her. Like the more you could give about her and who she is and how, what she's looking for, the better. So originally, It's a data set that, yeah, that, exactly. that it's learning from. I did that Honestly, even with all of that, I didn't feel like it was really capturing her, which is why I started having to use these other people too. But what I did notice is as we kept going and I kept asking it to refine prompts and things, it did start to sometimes get better. Like it would listen, and it was very quick. You know, like if it gives you something too earnest, and you say like get more creative, it will get more creative. If it's very good at um, condensing things, like in her profile, I was so overwhelmed. With writing her profile of of all this information about her, of these former dating profiles, these new exchanges I've had with her, these interviews. And I needed help just saying, like, what are the three most surprising and interesting things about this person that I should include in a dating profile? And ChatGPT told you? It did tell me. And I chose to use those things. You know, it's that subjective too, but it was helpful in making decisions like that. It did give me some good turns of phrase, which I used in her profile. And interestingly, like the only two turns of phrase in her profile that anyone ever like explicitly commented on were created by ChatGPT. One was... um Laughing in, in the Face of Life's Mysteries, which was by uh Hunter S. Thompson, ChatGPT. And another was this lie in Bumble. We also use Bumble um, in Two Truths and a Lie. It took a long time to get there, but eventually it gave me something about I spent the entire summer living on a houseboat because I lost a bet to a friend. And that was like a decent lie. And people like that lie. So it was occasionally with the right prodding, it did produce some useful lines. And then in terms of interacting with people, I mean, of course, there's multiple layers here. I am not Sam. So there's partly that I am not Sam. So I need help interacting with people. But it just would give you ideas for what to write. At the same time, Although it was making me laugh a lot and I thought that some of the ideas were good. By the end, it just was so much work using it in this particular way that it just it didn't feel like a time saver at all.
1: I was struck by that. Like you went into this thinking, oh, I can automate this process to some degree and actually make it easier. That does not feel like that's what
0: happened. It did not happen for me. You know, since then, people have reached out and said, like, look at this dating app over here or look at this service over here. We're, like, figuring out how to incorporate ChatGPT into things in a more automated way. Or look at this over here. Like, these people are using AI in their matching in a different kind of way than you explored. And so I have no doubt that it, that we will continue to see more and more things that figure out how to make some of this faster. Whether it'll be better, you know, I don't know. But no, in the way I did it, it definitely was not super efficient.
1: It's not impossible to imagine that the people on the other side of this experiment, the unsuspecting men, might be annoyed to find out they've been duped by AI. But both Heather and Sam were careful to be gentle and
0: not be jerks. And the dates, which really happened, went well. They were great. I mean, that was a really surprising and nice thing. We were both a little worried because there's a lot of layers here. I'm working with ChatGPT to set up these dates and interact with these people. And so we were both concerned about, like, how would it be disclosing this thing? So. One thing that fortunately, in both cases, that went over just fine and it went over well. The guys were cool with it. They were cool with it, and they one one of them was stunned. But then she told him more about it, and he laughed. It helped that he and I had very, or he and ChatGPT had had very few back and forth interactions. There was very little that had been exchanged. And then the second guy, he had some questions, and then it became kind of a conversation point. The dates were good. She had two good dates, you know. She came away from it feeling like she would go out with both of those people again. Both of those people were interested in going out with her again. So that was great. I mean, can I credit that to my very unscientific method of collaborating with (laughs) ChatGPT? You know, there's also just this element of trying to do this quickly. And I think that was a piece. And then also an element of like having your friend involved, which is can be very helpful. But sure, ChatGPT was helpful in the fact that it did enable some things to just move quickly.
1: There was one other thing Heather couldn't automate, which she wished was possible. A kind of filter for who to swipe on. I'm sure some programmer listening can do it, but she had to try the old-fashioned way.
0: I had to kind of try to come up with some rules for swiping that that were consistent. And that was really challenging. But at the same time, that was kind of helpful because it did probably push us to consider people that we wouldn't have considered for her otherwise. What were the rules? So, for example, I would never swipe right for anyone who didn't have two lines in their bio. That sounds really basic, but you'd be amazed how many people on these dating apps haven't bothered to write even a line in their bio. They also could not be against having children. We prioritized a sense of humor, prioritized speaking multiple languages. So there were just certain things that were helpful. And so it was just helpful to have a rule because even if I was just swiping as her friend, I think I would have been like, oh, this person looks great. And then Oh, but they say they don't actually have a bio, even though they have these other things filled out. It might have been tempting to swipe hmm. f- right for them, and so it was just helpful to have some kind of rules like to to go off of. I
1: mean, thinking about this from a AI or machine learning standpoint, like I could conceive of a, a future where those rules, right, those data points that you have laid out, where you could write a program saying like only
0: select people with these characteristics. But you were just you, Heather, doing that instead. Exactly. And so people do write such programs. And so that was what I was kind of trying to replicate. I didn't have the capacity to quickly write such a program, but I was thinking about that, you know, and some of those aren't even AI. They're just swiping programs that people make, you know. But yes, people already do write some of those rules. And some of these things are supposed to be baked into the apps. You know, the apps use all kinds of algorithms to decide who to prioritize that you should see. I think what I also really saw is why people are so frustrated with them. So for example, Tinder, been around for a long time, very successful app. One of the reasons it's been so successful is unlike something like eHarmony, um, it doesn't ask people tons of questions. So it is trying to make it easy to get on there. At the same time, I just was kind of appalled that here I was. I created this profile for a woman who's in her early 40s. She says she wants a, a serious partner. She says she wants kids. Like, these things are kind of clear. I'm consistently swiping in a way that makes it clear that I'm not going to swipe for anyone who doesn't have a profile, who hasn't bothered to, to, write, the to, bare write, minimum. to write two lines, just as, like, an indication of maybe how serious they are about this. And yet— there, it would serve up top picks for her again and again, top, like because it will curate some picks for you, like picks of, you know, picks of the day or picks of the weeks, whatever they call it. Picks with no bio, sometimes not even a photo of their face. And so all her complaints about, yes, these apps have a lot of this technology baked into them themselves, or they can, they can take advantage of it, but they're not necessarily using it in ways that are that helpful. So I really saw that when I was there dating for her. Trying to zoom out on this a little bit and think about it at a slightly
1: more meta level, can you see a universe where where automating more of this would be helpful or does it it lose some ineffable human thing where maybe this person checks all your boxes but someone else just sort of catches your eye
0: more? Absolutely. I mean, this is a big question that's been around and been debated in the realm of dating for a long time now and i think it's an important question you know can can we learn anything from more technology my observation is that these apps are already using algorithms these apps are already using a lot of code and math to kind of make assumptions about who people want. It's not like you just go on and everybody seems the same people. You go on and they prioritize who you're going to see. I was talking to different people about this. You know, some people really defended it. Some people, this one sociologist who's a consultant with the app, she was kind of defending the app. She's like, you know, I think that they're doing a pretty good job surfacing who you should see. And the problem is really that people don't present themselves in a way that's accurate. They present themselves in a way that they think other people Hmm. would be interested in. And that was like, I, I believe that that's a piece of it. But something that was even more compelling to me was I was talking to this other guy who'd a venture capitalist who had made a couple failed dating apps. And his observation was that you learn a lot about people for how they actually behave, but not just on dating apps, outside of dating apps. And there are ways to create prediction models. He had tried to do some of this and it failed, but prediction models that use types of data about even things like in his idea was like even things like Netflix, like what people consume on Netflix and how often and train it on all these different kinds of data. And then look at couples that have very successful relationships and try to build predictive models. I'm not saying I believe that that's going to predict all couples. But I think that predictive models that use more data about how we live our lives, it does make sense to me that some of those could be a little more revealing than models that are so heavily based on how you behave in the dating apps. Because right now, a lot of what the dating apps use to determine who you should see is based on how you've swiped in the past and how you've interacted with people in the past. Not all of them, but a lot of them do. And so It just does seem like there's ways to use some of this stuff that gets outside of that, because that's just going to help you like repeat the same patterns over and over and over again and play into the same assumptions over and over again about who likes who.
1: Heather Tall Murphy, thank you for your reporting and for talking with me about it.
0: Sure. My pleasure. Happy to talk to you about it.
1: Heather Tall Murphy covers business and tech for Slate. And that is it for our show today. What Next TBD is produced by Evan Campbell. Our show is edited by Jonathan Fisher. Alicia Montgomery is vice president of audio for Slate. TBD is part of the larger What Next family. And we're also part of Future Tense, a partnership of Slate, Arizona State University, and New America. And if you like what we are doing here, I have a request for you. Join Slate Plus. When you become a member, you get all your Slate podcasts ad-free. So just head on over to slate.com slash whatnextplus to sign up. All right, we'll be back next week with more episodes. I'm Lizzie O'Leary. Thanks for listening.